Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. A few weeks ago, I had shared uh, that I was going through, I had an opportunity, opportunity uh, for, to, to depend on God because I had prayed, hey God, I, I want to depend on you more. And he gave me that opportunity in the form of my car breaking down. And uh, I called around some mechanic shops and they're like, yeah, you should probably just scrap it. <laughs> I was like, that's what you want to hear. <laughs> uh, so it was, it was kind of a stressful time trying to figure out what do we do. Uh, we only have one vehicle and I don't know, you know, I was planning, I was hoping to have the car for a lot longer. Um, and uh, after like a week or so, I, I had shared that sometimes God answers prayers before you even have them. Um, and uh, my brother-in-law had called me up and said, hey, um, that he and my sister had been talking and we'd like to give Isa her old car. And we were planning on doing it at some point, but we can just push that date up and buy a new car because Joy, my sister, wants one. Uh, so they, we, we flew home to go to uh, Thanksgiving this week and I was like, is there any chance you can get a new car by then? The car lots in Southern California are empty. Uh, everyone's picked them up. So there's no cars there. So they're calling around trying to find the car that my sister wants. Uh, and they found one in Klamath Falls, Oregon. So my brother-in-law flew up, picked up the car, drove it home all so that we could drive our new car home. Um, and it was just a huge blessing. My sister and uh, her husband are really generous. It was a really cool uh, experience for us. But that being said... We drove home last night, and I'm tired, <laughs> real tired. It was, it was, I, you know, Thad approached me and was like, hey, you want to preach? I was like, yeah, sure, I love preaching. And then I'd probably <laughs> go back and maybe not do that. Um, but it was good. I had a lot of time to think through. I just didn't type up all the notes. Uh, so I, I, we got back at 7, went straight to the office, started writing up the sermon notes. And so there's a lot of mistakes uh, starting with uh, those two, first two Matthew passages are actually in John. Uh, so <laughs> it's not a joke. It's real. Uh, I was trying to sneak some heresy by you, but Terry caught me. Uh, so just scribble those out and write John, because uh, that's where those are found. Uh, my wife who did the slides, and she got them right. So she's better at it than I am. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. I'm really grateful and thankful I got to spend time with family. Uh, that I have a church that supports me in that, and that I have a new car, and everything was good. It's, it's good. Um, but I am a little tired today, so bear with me. Let's pray. Hey, God, uh, you are good, and uh, we have lots to be grateful for. And I know that many of us go through seasons, and maybe some of us are in this room going through a season where it's hard to remember those things, and it's hard to get through stuff. Um, but regardless of those things, we know the, the truth that you are good and you've provided and you have blessed. And pray, Lord, uh, that you meet with us here this morning um, and uh, bless us with your presence in this service and help us learn and grow. Speak through me. I, I give this time over to you, God, uh, asking you to come and help and meet with us here and speak to us. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start off in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
You've probably heard these verses quoted um, many times, um, 8 and 9 and then 10. These are pretty famous verses uh, that get quoted often, but not often do they get quoted together. And you wouldn't know if you, if you just read them separately. You wouldn't know that this is all part of one passage that Paul lays this out. And I started to think about that because this week I was, I was thinking about this notion of what we started last week, finding the true you. And the whole point of that is that we start with our identity and knowing who we are. And out of that, we find our purpose. It's, it's our de- identity first, though. And so I, I, read, I heard this passage and I started to think about it and dwell on it. And like, wow, like Paul lays this out. Why do we separate these things when they're clearly written together? Why do we separate them and I recognize that in our world, the world that we're surrounded by, especially m- more modern-day America, um, we, we do the opposite. We're raised in a culture of the opposite, that your identity comes from your purpose. What you contribute, what you do, uh, that's, that's your identity. That's why when we introduce ourselves, it's very common to start off with what your role is at whatever job you work at. Uh, it's common for athletes to say, I'm, you know, this kind of athlete, all right? I do this. this these are my accomplishments. Uh, and we can even be identified by some of those. Um, so we live in our culture that's like that. And we, we strive for it and we achieve it. And, and that's the goal is, is that we want to, the, the world at least, wants to achieve things and have a purpose and, and find that. And that's where your identity comes from. Because what else do you base it on? What else comes before you? You have nothing else to base it beforehand. So the only thing you can base your identity on is what you do, what you can do, what you're good at, what you like, what you're passionate about. Those are the things that define you as a person. Um, But the Bible says the opposite. Over and over again, the Bible reiterates this point, and that's what Thad started us off with. It's, It's actually your identity that's established before you're even born, that there are lots of things that God says about you and that your identity is is found in. And out of your identity and who you are, who he created you to be, you have your purpose. And that's what this passage shows, that first Paul lays out that it's by grace that you've been saved. This is very Pauline. He says this lots of times, that it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And he adds on to it that it's, the reason for that is so that we're all equal, so no one can boast. It's not by works, and we, we can't earn it. We're never going to earn what we've been given by Christ. We're never going to earn our place in heaven. We're never going to earn our salvation. We're never going to earn our redemption we're not going to do those things because we can't. But we can, through faith, receive them by the grace of Jesus. And that keeps us all on equal footing. No matter where we come from, no matter who we are, we are all equal in Christ because none of us deserved it. And because we are saved, because we are redeemed in Christ, we have a purpose created to do good works. And Paul doesn't separate these things. I think he keeps the juxtaposition of these two seemingly opposing thoughts and puts them right next to each other, explaining that you have an identity in Christ and because of your identity, you have a purpose in Christ to do good works that God created in a beforehand for you to do. Like that's, that's something that God had, had established long before you came along, that he had not only an identity for you, but also has a purpose for you. And Paul wants us to understand that those things go together. 
One of the things before we move on uh, from there is that I want to reiterate a point that uh, we had made in the Judges series that Thad had, had, had brought up that I thought was really good. It's something that I've been wrestling with ever since uh, he brought that up. And I was like, wow, I, I really need to work on this because as he was going through the story of Micah at the end of Judges, he was explaining that it's important that we not just worship the right God, but we also worship God the right way. That we can't worship God the way that the world worships their gods because that's not how God wants us to worship him. And that's something that I've been wrestling with because I, like, I grew up with the notion of like, oh, I know what God to worship, but I haven't always been looking at the way I'm worshiping God. And sometimes I think that the world affects the way I worship God and I worship God the way the world worships their gods. I'm still worshiping the right God. I'm just doing it the wrong way. And uh, I started to notice that. And I think this is one of those things that we get wrong all the time. You probably noticed it in your life at some point that you start to approach God thinking that like, okay, I'm going to earn your love. Uh, I'm going to earn the grace and acceptance that you've given me. We come with this message and we're heard, oh, oh, Jesus died for you and he redeems you. He loves you. That's a great message to hear. It's something we all want. And we, we accept that. We believe that. And we're like, yes. And then somewhere along the way, because we were raised in this culture, we start to think, okay, now I'm going to pay him back. And it, it may not happen like on the surface. You may, it may be more subconscious than that. But you start to think, oh, God's going to love me so much because I did this. Or I'm gonna, uh, he's going to be so happy with me because I, I did these things. And, I, I, and he's going to love me more and I'm going to earn more of his grace and forgiveness because I've done the good things he's told me to do. But the love, the forgiveness, the grace, those were all given to me beforehand. I didn't, I, I'm not going to earn them. I never have earned them. I never will earn them. They were given. There was, those are part of my identity. Now I go and do good works out of my identity because I've been given that grace. I go and I show grace and mercy and, and I love others because of what he's given me. And that's the, the flow of what the Bible sets up for us, that we, we have our identity in Christ. And we go and do good out of it. But because we were raised in this culture, we get that mixed up. I don't know about you, but it happens to me all the time where I start to think, okay, I'm going to earn more favor with God because I'm going to do the good stuff he told me to do. Um, And that's just not true. It it goes the other way. I'm given good stuff and I need to go and do something with it. So um, we, what Thad had shared with us last week uh, was some of our identities. And what I wanted to do this week is now that we have kind of established some things, I think you should keep wrestling with this. Keep wrestling with this. And I think you should keep reading through the Bible and finding out more of what your identity is. In fact, in your, your home groups and in your personal time, that's something that I, I wrote on the back of the sermon was for you to spend some time and to think about some more of the identities that you, can, uh, that you can find within the Bible that says, this is who you are. And I want you to keep working on those things. Uh, but this week, we're going to move forward to say, okay, now, now that we have our identity established, what purpose does that give us? What purpose comes out of the identity that we've been given? God established an identity for us. Now, what do we do with that? And how, what, what uh, good work has he prepared in advance for us to do because of that identity? And so that's what we're going to talk about this week. And I, I wanted to touch on some of the things that uh, we learned last week, that we are created good. In Genesis, God says that he created everything and it was all good. And then he created mankind and it was very good. 
Sometimes I think we forget those things because, you know, we go through like all the ideas of total depravity or an original sin and stuff. All those things kind of crept into Christianity and has affected the way we look at ourselves. And uh, a lot of the evangelism movement was like this turn or burn thing. Like, hey, you're so wretched and you don't deserve anything and you need to understand. And there's some truth there that, yes, we can't earn salvation. We can't earn Christ's love. But... We can't forget that God created us good and they're still good there. I think that sometimes it's often overlooked that, that yes, sin has been at work from the very beginning to corrupt mankind, but God's goodness still shines through. I mean, how good is our God and how much goodness did he install in this world that even though sin's been at work since the very beginning to corrupt it all, it hasn't been completely successful. There's been moments and pockets and people, but... They're still good, still good all around us. And that's God and his creation that he created it to be good. And even though sin's been at work to do it, it hasn't been completely successful. And I, and I think that we need to remember that. We need to remember that God created us and then we are his, we are very good because we are his image and he created us to be good. And one of the things I wrote in your notes is something that I hear a lot is this idea, and I wrote it as a double negative. I did this one on purpose. It's not a mistake. Uh, But it says, you are not not good enough. And I want you to know that, because I hear that all the time. I'm not good enough to do this. I'm not good enough to do that. No. God created you good. He has a good purpose for you. He has a design for you, and he has a reason for your existence, and so he wants you to do good things, and you are good enough. He created you that way. He has a he, he can redeem the parts of you that he needs to redeem. I mean, if you read through the Bible, you read through all of Judges, if you went through that series, you've heard this over and over again, how God uses people that are not good enough to do an awful lot of good. So you're, stop using this excuse. It's just, and this is my bold statement for that, it's just as arrogant to say, I'm not good enough, as to say, I am too good. Same, same amount of arrogance. Because you were saying to your creator, that you know better your worth than he does. The second thing that we talked about last week is that we are on purpose. We're not an accident. That we have something designed ahead of time, that God created us and and he has a plan. Even if the world didn't, even if our parents didn't, God had a plan and knew that we, we have a reason to be here. He had a reason for us to be here, and he planned ahead of time for that to happen. And so uh, that's, again, that's, uh, that's our identity. Before we were even born, God already had a plan for us and had a reason for our existence. Now, the purpose that comes out, that's your identity. You are on purpose. You're not a mistake. You're here for a reason. Your purpose out of that is you're here for a reason. Go find it. Realize that you, you have a reason for being here, that God designed you and created you and wants you here on earth to be around the people and affect the world around you for a reason. He has a reason for your existence. And so rather than spending so much time trying to figure out why we are here, trust the Bible and say, okay, God's got a reason. Now what is it? What is the reason that I'm here? Um, the last thing that we brought up last week that that had mentioned was that we are mobile mini temples. Um, and he laid out, and I really like this idea, this imagery of how ornate and um, 
descriptive God is about how he wanted the, the temple to be, to be made. And it's, it's massive and beautiful. One of the biggest buildings in the world at the time. And it shows God's glory. And it's where all of his people could come and meet and congregate with him over the festivals and worship him. It's where the Holy Spirit would dwell. And it's glorifying God. And now, now because you are where the Holy Spirit dwells, if you have accepted Christ and the Holy Spirit lives within you, you are now that temple. And so you bear the same purpose that the temple did to glorify God, to be a place where people can come and meet God. That's awesome. It's great, but it's also a responsibility that we're supposed to glorify God. We're supposed to be a place of people that show God to the rest of the world, show his glory and his goodness. But what else does the Bible say? What else does the Bible say about our identity? And what do the purposes that we have that flow out of that? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 12. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So here we see our identity. Did you catch it? What is our identity from this passage? Thanks, Jolene. Gold star. All right. We are dearly loved children. There's our identity. It's marking, a, uh, it's marking us. And what is our purpose? It's the first three words. Follow God as example, Jolene. I'm just going to preach to you, all right? <laughs> all right. Anyway, so follow God as example. You are dearly loved children. Follow God's example. Let's look at another passage. This, John. Remember, I wrote Matthew, but it's John. John 13, 34, and 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So our our identity is that we're loved. And out of that, we love. Identity comes first. Jesus came here and loved you and has now called you to love. This command isn't coming because he hasn't given you something. This command isn't coming ahead of time. He's not saying, if you love, I'll love you. He's saying, I have loved you. Now go love. Identity comes first. You are loved, so you love. And that's how you'll know if you're a disciple. People will know you're a disciple because you love like Jesus does. John 15, 2. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. It's a more succinct way to say it. You are loved, so you must love others. Your identity is that you are a loved being. And, and man, get that. Don't gloss over it. Oh, another sermon about how God loves me. No, don't do that. Do you know how many people out there want to hear that they're loved? How many times in your life you've probably just wanted to be loved? And God says it over and over again. You are. You are loved. You might be feeling like you're running on empty, like, oh, I'm pouring out, but I'm not getting anything back. And God's saying, I've been giving everything I have to you. Problem is, sometimes we don't, we don't want God's love. We want other love. We want people's love. But God's pouring it out to us, saying, you are love. This is your identity. I love you. I created you. And, and I, my only out of what I've done for you, how much I love you, I want you to love others. And honestly, here's the thing. It comes naturally. It really does. If you really understand the depth of God's love, if you dwell on that, you read about that, you accept that and believe that, 
I mean, really believe that. You will love other people. I dare you to try not to. You can't. If you really understand the love that you've been given, you will love others. So, that's our identity and our purpose out of that. What's another one? Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. How about Matthew 6.14 and 15? For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's Jesus talking. Pretty intense, pretty bold. And it's important for us to remember that if you are forgiven, your identity, your responsibility, your purpose out of that is to forgive others. This is one of the ones that's tough. I get a lot of uh, feedback on this that people say, I, you don't, I can't do that. Then you don't understand what you've been forgiven. This is not optional. And you might say to me, I, I, you don't understand what this person did. You're right, I don't, but Jesus does. And it wasn't me that's telling you to do it, it's him. You might think, oh, I, I can't let this person get away with it. First of all, that's not what you're doing. The person being affected by you holding a grudge or anger or hate is you, not them. You're continuing to allow the power of what they did to you you're letting them hold that over you for the rest of your life, turning you into something you don't want to become. You don't want to become a bitter, angry, well, hopefully you don't want to become a bitter, angry person that's hateful and spreads a lot of like negativity. You don't want to be that person, but yet you're allowing someone's act or whatever they've done to you to turn you into that person because you're not willing to forgive and let go. You might say it's not fair. You're right. (laughs) It's not. Neither was... Jesus' death on the cross for you. It's not about what's fair, and it's not up to you to decide that. It's up to God to establish justice. And thank God that he's the God that does that, and thank God that he sent his son down to die for us, because then we can be forgiven. And when you understand the depth of your forgiveness, the depth of what has happened in your life, and the distance that you put between God and the sacrifice that it cost God to get to you and redeem you and and forgive you, then what can't you forgive? This is something that in my life God has fortunately, unfortunately taught me. I got to be on the wrong side of judgment. I got to be on the wrong side of guilt. The wrong side, not the right side of either one of those, but I was on the side that it wasn't fun. I didn't enjoy it. And I got to understand what it feels like for others to judge. And, and I got to understand what it feels like to feel incredibly, horribly guilty. And I, and I understood that, okay, I don't want anyone to have to go through this. There is no right in me to be able to say to anyone else, oh, you're wrong. You're bad. If Christ can redeem me, he can redeem anyone. Something that Paul understood and and expressly says himself. And, and that's the thing that I think that um, we need to understand. But when we're struggling with this, when you're struggling to love, when you're struggling to forgive, 
the problem comes before that when you're not understanding what you've, that you are loved and how deeply you're loved or that you've been forgiven and how much you've been forgiven. You understand those, your identity, that you are loved and forgiven and how, much, how deep those things run, then it's easy for you to love and forgive. Well, not easy, but easier. The last uh, identity that I want to talk about today, there's lots of them. Um, but just for today, I was just covering three. So in, what is this? Ephesians two nineteen through 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Mobile mini temple. What's the next passage? Second Corinthians five seventeen through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. You ever read the exclamation points and actually like say it? There's a lot of them in the Bible that you might gloss over. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. For And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God we're making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul's explaining in this that we are citizens of heaven. That first passage in Ephesians 2. You throw that back up in 19. Ephesians 2, 19. And the, the whole building... Back up one more? Yeah, there we go. Consequently, you know, we're along foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. He's talking to the Ephesians, the Gentiles, about how they're joining in with God's people. But he's explaining this idea that we are now citizens of the kingdom of God. That because of Christ's sacrifice and his redemption, we have been adopted as co-heirs with him to be part of the kingdom of God. That is our identity. We are now citizens of heaven. And 2 Corinthians, he adds on to that, that because of that, because we have a new nationality of being children of God and part of the kingdom of God, we have a new responsibility to be ambassadors of our new king. We are part of the kingdom of God and we are ambassadors of Christ. We bear his name. We show, like if you were a foreigner from another land and you were coming here, you represent your people to this new this new land. You represent your home. What Paul's explaining is that your home is heaven, and so therefore you represent heaven, and you represent your king, Jesus. So you are his ambassador. You, you show his glory. You have been built up with the Holy Spirit within you, and you represent him. And it is your responsibility, your purpose out of your identity as a, as a part of the kingdom of God is your responsibility to represent him well. Just show the kingdom of God well. And to share it with others. To share the kingdom that you have and invite other people to join in with you. This is something that Paul was very passionate about and why he writes about it. It's, it's because he understands that this is something that he's been given that he didn't deserve and he wants other people to be a part of it. He wants everyone as, as far as he can reach to be a part of the kingdom of God. 
And one of the cool things that I, I think we need to learn out, and I'll say, before I say this, let me explain. I'm guilty of this. I am just as guilty as anyone else, maybe more so, of having a hard time inviting people and talking about the kingdom of God. I have a hard time inviting people to church. I have a hard time talking about the kingdom of God. I've learned and I've developed and I've gotten better, but I'm not good at it. I'm here. Sure, you all came to hear me. You might regret that now, but you did. (laughs) You came to listen and you came to be here and and hear a word about God. And this is one of my favorite ways to do it. Oh, I love it. But it's harder out there when they didn't come to hear that. It's harder out there when they've heard it so many times and you know that they're, they don't want to hear it. They've either been burned by church or know someone who has or heard it enough and raised by it and decided to walk away from it or something. We know that in Paul's day that they didn't hear this message yet, but in our day, many people have heard it. And they probably don't want to hear it, and so we're going to get rejected. Of course, Paul was rejected quite a bit himself. And one of the lessons that I learned from Paul that I think is important for us to hear today, and again, something I need to hear myself, that any amount of rejection is worth, or no, all amount of rejection is worth any amount of acceptance. We should take it all on. That's what Paul did over and over again. Sure, reject me. I don't care. I'm going to move on to the next group. Oh yeah, you stoned me to death. I'm just going to get up and keep going. That's Paul for you. Something that I, I, I want to emulate in him is understand that yes, it's hard sometimes. I want to do it tactfully. I want to represent God well by not like, you know, pushing it in their face and saying, oh, you know, I can't be your friend unless you believe this. No, I want to do it better than that. But I do want to be bold enough to invite and bold enough to share. And if they reject, that's okay. Because of the one, two, three, whoever out there that will accept. It's worth that. What we have here is worth that. And one of the things that Paul, the reason why I think Paul's able to do that, because he understands his identity so well. He's not, he's not wrestling with this. He understands that he's part of the kingdom of God. He understands that he has been redeemed and that he will be that this isn't his home, that earth was not his home, that heaven is his home, and he can't wait to get where he belongs. And so while he's here, he's going to do everything he can to help other people get to be a part of what he has, what he's a part of, to get to enjoy the same blessings that he's going to enjoy. So Paul's on a mission, and I think that's one of the things we need to learn from Paul and work in our own lives is to understand our identity. We're not from here. If we believe in Jesus and the Holy Spirit resides in us, our home is heaven. And one day we will be there. And while we are here, until we get there, we have the responsibility to try to help as many people get there as well. To enjoy the same blessing. And again, if you understand the depth of what you've been given, you will just, like Paul, just naturally hunger and desire to share it with as many people as you possibly can. So there's our identities. You're you're loved, so love others. You're forgiven, forgive others. You are a citizen of heaven, be an ambassador of Christ. In all of these things, our identity comes first. And 
I understand that it's challenging to keep this order right and correct. I understand that our culture makes it difficult. But remember these things. And it's your identity first. Focus on that. And one of the things that I just I thought of this week, but the most impactful thing for the gospel, the spread of it, is a life that's been changed by it. So if you want to go and, and make a difference, if you have that desire, if, you, if you've heard the message of, of Jesus and you want to change it, the, the best thing you can do, the first and most fundamental thing, is have your life changed by it. Really grasp the depth and the depth of God's love, the depth of his forgiveness. Understand that you are not, this isn't your home anymore, that if the Holy Spirit lives within you, you have a better home waiting for you. And then go and do stuff out of this. Fulfill your purpose out of those things. Your identity comes first. Now, um, you might hear that and think, oh, weight lifted. I don't have to go and do anything. Corbin just said it. I just need to work on me. I get that. I like that. That's one of my favorite things to do is to work on me, work and with you, work with us, and let's, let's all grow together and understand more deeply. Let's dive into Scripture and, and read it more. And, and yeah, that's great. I love it. I love being in this context and growing together. But we still have a responsibility because there's a lot of people out there that don't have what we have. We are still ambassadors and we still have to walk out of this building and go and be a part of this world and we have to share what we have with them. Whether or not they'll accept it, that's up to them, but we have the responsibility to share it with them. Just as Christ did with us. So if you're if you're thinking, okay, you know, I'm spiritually immature, maybe you are, maybe this is new to you, this is a, a new relationship, maybe you're still wrestling with it, then yeah, your your responsibility first is to grow and become mature. We don't hand, you know, responsibilities to infants, you know, like that's, that's not a thing that we do. But for those of you in this room that have been around church, and I'm talking to myself as well here, for those of us in this room that have been around church long enough and understand these things really well, because we've heard them so many times, we've read the Bible and we understand who we are and what Christ has done for us. It's time to grow up. It's time to mature and accept the responsibility with that maturity. That we can't just sit in here where it's comfortable and continue to grow and enjoy that. Yes, it's good. We need to keep doing it. But we can't just do that. We have a responsibility to Christ. We have a responsibility to each other. And we have a responsibility to this world to do what we can to spread God's kingdom. So we need to grow up. It's not cute to have like a really uh, old, immature person, I found out the hard way. You know, <laughs> that was a joke. Never mind. Didn't land. All right. No, but that, that's one of those things. I would just put it in your mind of, you know, people that have continued to shirk responsibility because they don't want to grow up themselves. We see that physically and we think, oh, that's not right. We need to understand the same thing's true spiritually. And continue to not live out our responsibility, not live up to our created purpose that God has given us, then we're just, we're just being immature for immaturity's sake. But for those of us who've been around long, time, long enough, we, we should go out, understand what we've been given, understand our identity, and go and share with others. 
Um, we're going to take communion. And we do this every week. And this week, as we take it, I, I want you to remember, as we do every week, this is an important thing that we remember all the time, what Jesus has done for us. It helps us remember our identity, that we are loved, that we're forgiven, that we, because of this sacrifice, are citizens of heaven. We've been redeemed, that the Holy Spirit lives within us. It helps us remember all these things. But this week, as you take it, I want you to understand that as you take it, you're, you're accepting also with the love and the forgiveness and the, the new citizenship of heaven. You're accepting the responsibility that you're supposed to love others too. You're supposed to forgive others too. That you're an ambassador of Christ as well. So don't take it lightly and think, oh yeah, thanks Jesus, awesome. Take it with the, yes, Jesus, awesome, thank you. And I'm going to join in with you as you've called me to. So on the last night with his disciples, he broke the bread and spread it and said, this is my body, which I will break for you, take and eat. And he passed the cup and said, this is my blood, which I will shed for you, take and drink. God, thank you for how you have defined us and how you have shown us who we are. Thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice that you have made and uh, the depth of your love, the depth of your forgiveness. Thank you for including us to be part of your family. Holy Spirit, work within us as a body of believers to live out the purpose that you have given us, to take the love that you have shown us and love others, to take the forgiveness that you've shown us, to forgive others. And God, help us be a church of ambassadors, a church that represents you well, that people come and know who you are because you shine through us. Please, God, help us glorify you as best we can, especially as you've been blessing us and we are moving into our new home. I pray, Lord, that we do not forget what you have done. We remember the blessings that you have given us and we share those with as many people as we possibly can, that we live burdened like Paul, to just be hungry, to share you with everyone we meet. Not be afraid of the rejection, not be afraid. I'm, I'm me, myself, God, I need this. Help me not be afraid, help me be bold, and remember what you've done for me and who I am because of it. We love you, praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.